So now we're being joined by our Midcoast campus. Let's welcome the rest of our family up in Bath. Hey, we love you guys, Kim and Kevin, the whole team up there. We love you guys, and it's just great uh, to be with you. Well, as we start this series of the book of Habakkuk, I never forget listening to a movie producer uh, listen and talk about what makes a great story. And according to him, whether it's a romance or action, didn't matter. Every great story had the same elements. And if you've got your sermon notes, would you write this down? An interesting story is a person who wants something noble and they overcome conflict to get it. Every story has that. Again, no matter romance or whatever, if you think about any movie that you enjoy, if you've seen this new Spider-Man movie, he's not just fighting for himself. That isn't noble. And you don't, you don't cheer for him. He's got to be, he's risking his life for Liz. Every great story has something, some nobility in it. I mean, Forrest Gump, he saved the whole world for heaven's sakes. Everybody he meets, but all of the classics, Napoleon Dynamite, Dumb and Dumber, they all have these. That was supposed to be funny. Um, But we don't really like that part, especially about the overcoming conflict um, to get it. We'd rather have a a sitcom life, and that is just 30 minutes of, just 30 minutes of just a small little bit of tension, nothing much, and it's mostly funny, and it all gets wrapped up in 30 minutes with a nice bow on it. That's the life that we want. None of you are probably buying tickets. You guys have heard about that new one coming out. It's about this couple, and their goal is to retire early at 55 and get a condo down in Naples, Florida. And it's, 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 a, it's a nail biter, and at the very end, they get the condo. Oh, how come we're not buying tickets to that one? Well, gosh, there's just nothing noble in it. There's, that, that's not the goal. And I hope that you know this, that whether or not we want a noble story, You serve a God who's awfully committed to a noble story. He's committed to that noble story in your life. And if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, whether you want it or not, he is directing your life. He is the director, and he's directing your life towards a more noble story. By the way, if you would like a little bit more noble story, help us. God has called us to, to see 2,200 lives transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And man, I need your help. You say, well, how can I help you, Pastor Brian? Let me tell you exactly how you can help. On the back of your connection card of those grow sessions, next Sunday at 10 o'clock, uh, that's the one chance I really get to explain the plan and the vision of how we're going to get this done and what your part is. Some of you have attended that class and you forgot everything in it. Sign up again, get in there. Because we really do. We need your help. And you know another part of seeing a church that is transforming lives? And we we talk about this a lot, but it's about relationships. You need to know the people around you. Now, one of the primary ways we facilitate that is life groups. But I know we all of us are busy. We all think, you know, I've I've got enough friends. I'm I'm okay. Okay, You need some close friendships. Just this past Wednesday, we had a life group. I went out there with... Dave Hudson, it was just me and Dave, and sat down and ate dinner with the Lamont family. And it, was, it really was an awesome time. And the reason I'm just sharing this is because until I can get each one of us to, to realize that even in life groups, what success is, is just a connection where you really do connect relationally. And God really does something in our hearts when that happened. We were out there at dinner. Uh, their daughter, Molly, is in a play, Peter Pan. She plays the part of Peter Pan. I can't make it out to the play. 
So I just asked her, I said, Molly, would you be willing to sing me one of your songs? Now, she's, what, 13, 14 years old, I think, somewhere in there. With all of us watching, she stood up, sang, danced, cartwheeled. I thought she was going to fly. I thought Peter Pan was going to fly. Now, why am I telling you that story? I'm guaranteeing you I am never going to forget that. Uh, just her boldness uh, to do that. And I share all that to say that we're asking some of you to consider leading a life group. And you think, man, I, I can't and I don't, I don't have the skills to do that. Until I can get us all to see that that's a success. Getting just a few people around a table, connecting to the point where you get comfortable enough with each other. You have to have a certain level of comfort before you, somebody's going to get up and sing and dance. Now, probably at your first life group, don't, don't get up and sing and dance, all right? Not, don't, don't do that. But when you get to know people, it just shows just, just the heart and the, just a level of openness and honesty and relationship. Until I can get you to see that that is a success, you'll always feel underqualified to be a life group leader. But that's something we can all work towards and would ask it help with that. So all the Bible stories, you know, we talk about, you know, movies or these, no, you know, characters striving for something noble. Well, there's a hundred stories in the Bible, and the only real thing they add to that is God in the mix with that story and God's commitment to telling a more noble story. And he is, and he's using our lives. And about 75% of the time, we don't even know how he's doing it, but he is using our lives and he's committed to a more noble story. And he's proven his willingness to add a whole lot of conflict to get us there. I mean, let me just say one of literally every Bible story seems to have this in it. One of my favorites is, you guys have heard this story before of Jacob. Jacob was the guy who was ultimately, his name was changed to Israel. So he's a pretty key factor, you know, key character in the Old Testament. The Bible tells this amazing story of God wrestling, literally coming down, taking physical form and wrestling with Jacob all night long. And the Bible throws this thing in at the end. It says that when God saw that he couldn't overcome him. Now, you think God probably was not in the even weight class with Jacob. Obviously, God could. There was a, there was a message here. We don't have time to, to share that, but God could obviously overcome him, but he wants Jacob to submit like he wants all of us just to say yes to him. But God says when he saw that he couldn't prevail, the Bible says that he touched Jacob's hip and his hip was wrenched out of its socket. And then the the story just goes on from there. Just after that, his name was changed to Israel. We just kind of go on like it's just one cool, happy story. And we kind of forget this little part. His hip was wrenched out of its socket. The Bible says he limped. We see him at the end of his life leaning on his staff. The presumption is he limped his entire life. Has anybody ever had any joint in your body even remotely separated or out of socket before? Ouch! And this is the biggest joint in your entire, the biggest bone in your entire body, and the whole thing is wrenched out of socket? Jacob is, is feeling a shocking amount of pain And gang, from Genesis to Revelation, God proves his willingness to bring some pain into your world in order to tell a more noble story. I've got, I I remember a time having a joint, even mildly, wasn't completely out of socket, but just mildly separated. So let me tell you my separation story, all right? It's been a long time since I told you a story with the Bemidji State Beavers, and I know you guys are, are anxious to hear another, it's been a long time. You guys know, and back in college, I played football with the mighty Bemidji State Beavers. I don't, know, I don't know why you laugh at that, but beavers are bad, man. If they can take down a tree, they can take you down, right? Beavers are bad. You're still laughing. I'm, I'm going to have to get more aggressive here. These beavers, I tell you. Anyways, back to the beaver dome. This is a true story. 
This was the last play. Fourth down, it's a goal line stand. If they score, they win. If we stop them, we win. Fourth down, and I'm the free safety. I am the smallest guy on the field, uh, usually by far. I'm, a, I'm, I'm playing at about a buck 75, and that's, that is a, a shrimp out on that field. And long story, the back comes around the end, and he's gotten by everybody, and it's just me and him. Fourth down, it's just me and him, and this guy was so shifty. I'd been trying to tackle him all game. It was a challenge all game, but I knew this is it, man. It's me and him, and I knew I just had to guess. He's either going to cut back or he's going to go straight, and I just, I have no options. I've got to guess. If I guess right, it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be the hero. If I guess wrong, I'm going to totally miss him and come up for air, but I knew I had to just go all in. So I took a wild guess, and guess what happened? What? They guessed that same thing Thursday night. Oh, you missed him. Why would you guess that? Remember, this is, a, this is a, a joint separation story, right? Of course, I, I made the tackle. It was a bone-crunching hit. Unfortunately, that bone was my own. I, I'm serious. If you go up to Bemidji, Minnesota today, you can still hear that tackle echoing through the trees. And then over the intercom came this ominous voice, and it, occasionally you'd hear this, there's a beaver down on the stadium. <laughs> now, everywhere else in America, that's kind of cool when you hear that. There's a beaver down on the stadium. You go, oh, honey, look at the beaver. He's got that big tail. He slaps the water and tells the other beavers there's trouble. That, that's a beaver. But not at the beaver dome. When you hear that at the beaver dome, it's, everybody stands up, takes their hats off, 21 guns salute, as the beaver is carted off to the beaver burial berm. I might be exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> but nonetheless, what's the purpose of my story? My purpose is, is I knew that God had called me to ministry. I knew that I was supposed to be preparing for ministry. But football was a lot of fun. And I still had two years of college left. And I'm, I'm telling God, God, I really am. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get training for ministry. But I got four years. I'm going to finish this out. And then I'll get there. But a shocking thing happened. After that injury, the coach rushed me back a little bit sooner than we should have. And the rest of that season, I only was able to be out for you know, rehab for a couple of weeks. And the rest of that season was misery. I mean misery. Everything you enjoyed about the game became pain. Every big hit was like, oh, yeah, every, rather than enjoying it, it was just pain. And it, it created this odd sense with me. I just started thinking different as I realized, you know, I knew that God had called me to ministry. I knew I should be preparing for ministry. I'm like, I started thinking, you know what? I'm putting God on the shelf. I, I'm pushing him away because of this? The, the, the football is really what I was hanging on for. And I'm like, really? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to postpone God's plans for this? This hurts. It is, bottom line, it's black and white. As I look back at my story, that my story was redirected by pain. And I wish we had time to get through all the details biblically, take you from Genesis to Revelation, but here's what the bottom line is. God does that 100% of the time in human lives. 100%. We would all love to say, oh, Pastor Brian, I never need to be redirected by pain because I'm always just spot on. I'm always just following God's voice perfectly. No, you're not. You are not different than every other Bible character. You're not. Let me read you an interesting quote. C.S. Lewis, one of the 
great Christians and writers and just an amazing man of wisdom. He said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us through our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. And that is just so true. Well, the book of Habakkuk really is the book. If you had to pick one out of the whole Bible that illustrates that point, it's Habakkuk. He illustrates that, the, the length to which God is willing to go to write a more noble story. And the length to which he's willing to use pain to get it, Habakkuk is the king of that hill. And Habakkuk has, gets this just amazing revelation of God and of just how involved God is. The bottom line of the story begins the very first chapter with Habakkuk complaining that, God, you're uninvolved, you're not involved. The, the nation of Israel is probably a lot like America today. A very low percentage of people were really serving God. A very low percentage of people would have been, you know, joining for worship and giving their heart and time and energy to build God's kingdom. And Habakkuk is complaining, God, the, you know, the nation isn't serving you. And you can see that in why don't you just write this down in your notes? There's a, a couple things he's really complaining. If, if, if you read it under number two there, you can read what he says. He says, God, how long must I call for help, but you don't listen? God, why are you tolerating wrong? He's complaining. His complaints really, if you go on, boil down to two things. God, you don't seem to care. And God, you're not doing much when you could. God, you're just not very involved. You're just not, I know you could. And by the way, would you also write this down, number three? It is entirely possible for a believer, for a person with profound faith. Habakkuk had profound faith, but it's entirely possible for you to express simultaneous questions and faith at the same time. He really wasn't questioning that God was. He was just questioning that God was involved. He just didn't believe God was involved, but he, it wasn't so much that his faith was shaken. He just, he just thought God was uninvolved. But gang, we've all had this. We've all had these questions. We've all had things happen. You know, why is it that some person that we know who was evil and dark and did terrible things lived to 102 and Pastor Gordy goes to heaven at 47? Uh, if, you don't, if, you don't, if things like that don't make you pause and ask questions, you're just not really in the game. You're not really paying attention. But we've all had stuff like that. We've all had questions I mean, why? Why? I'm trying to obey God and do what he says. I mean, Pastor Brian, the whole contentment series, I'm in. I'm a, I'm a percentage giver, and I still have financial struggles. And then there's this guy over here, and he's selling drugs, and he's doing great. Why? Why? Why do I still have headaches? Why do I deal with depression? Why do I struggle with this or with that? And people who aren't obeying God don't seem to have those struggles. Uh, you need to be asking those questions. Well, Habakkuk was asking those questions, and God answered him. It's just one of those rare occasions where God says, all right, you know, I get this question a lot, believe it or not. I get this question a lot, Habakkuk, so I'm going to answer you. If you look under now, under number three there, uh, this is God speaking to Habakkuk, and he says, look at the nations, Habakkuk, and watch and be utterly amazed for i'm going to be do something i'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told stop right here at this point habakkuk is thinking woo this is awesome god is telling me he's involved and god's telling me he's about to do something even bigger something so big so awesome i couldn't even imagine it i'm sure habakkuk is thinking what could god be doing oh man he's going to he's just going to send revival to the nation that's what habakkuk had been praying for and God says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to revive the whole nation, Habakkuk. The whole, the whole level of prayer activity in Israel is going to skyrocket here in just a few weeks. I mean, people are going to be serving God. People are going to be uh, spiritually attentive in a way they've never been before. And I'm going to direct the whole thing. Habakkuk is like, awesome. This is awesome. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. God says this is what he's doing. God's taking personal responsibility. Notice he says, I am. God says, I am raising up the Babylonians. Just stop right there. How, how, how does God's plan sound so far? You think, whoa, 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 God, what? No, you're, you're raising up the Babylonians. God, I'm praying for blessing. I'm praying for spiritual awakening, God. I'm praying for good stuff. God says, yeah, I'm sending it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to end really good. I'm trying to write a more noble story. So here's what I'm doing. I'm sending the Babylonians. And then he goes on to describe, just in case we think these Babylonians are noble folks, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to, sweep, to seize dwelling places. Not there. Hopefully you're following along in your notes here. The scripture's there. Verse 7, they are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. God makes very clear to say that these people are not serving me. These people do not claim to even know me, but God says, I'm using them. I'm directing people who don't even claim to know me. Verse 9, they all come bent on violence. Look under number 4 now. I just, we'll just read the top verse. This is the message translation of verse 13, Habakkuk's response to this. You can't be serious, God, because you can't condone evil you need to back up here and go back to the other slide. I don't know how we got that up there. All right. Habakkuk is saying, God, you can't be serious. You can't condone evil. The bottom line, this is what comes next to me is one of the most fascinating parts of your entire Bible. I don't think you, I don't, I don't ever remember in the entire rest of the Bible listening to a prophet lecturing God. But what you have for several verses is God getting a lecture. God getting a lecture on now, God, this is how righteous people work. God, we stay in the light. God, let me explain this to you. Habakkuk is basically saying, God, there's light and then there's darkness. And you have informed us, God, to stay on the good side, to stay in the light. Now, God, you need to play by your own rules because here God is saying he's going to use evil is exactly what God is saying. And Habakkuk is lecturing him saying, God, now you tell us not to do that. You tell us not to venture off into the darkness, but here you're, you're using it. And the bottom line of what Habakkuk, God reveals to him is Habakkuk, I don't play by those rules. Now, I set up rules for you because you are a human being and you need some guardrails to, to protect yourself. But I don't need those guardrails. In fact, I don't need any guardrails because I'm just not in danger. See, God tells us to do a lot. God tells us to, just give you a couple examples. I come up with a hundred of them, but here's a, here's a couple. God tells us, if you're re really carefully, God tells us to not communicate. There is a spirit world out there. There are voices, there are spirit voices in this world other than God. And God tells us to not communicate with them. God tells us to not try to communicate with the dead. But he does it every day. God does. God tells us not to speak to those spirits, evil spirits. God does it. 
You read, I mean, throughout the Old Testament, I mean, read Job's story. I mean, there's three different occasions where the devil himself comes up and you, you read the conversation. It's this casual conversation like they're just sitting back having a nice tea or something. Like, God, you tell us not to do that. And there you are. And not only does he talk to the devil, he gives the devil instructions of exactly what he can do. And it's all this destruction that's going to happen in Job's life. You talk about pain. Job experienced it and God tells him exactly what he can do and exactly what his limits are. Let me try to illustrate this um, in this, this picture. Actually, go to the, the picture with the black and the white. I think just maybe sometimes a, a picture will help illustrate. You see, God has, there in, and the Bible's very clear. There is a realm of light and darkness, but one of a hundred scriptures that kind of display this is in Psalm 139, that even the darkness is not dark to you. You see, God tells us to live on this side. You do good. You live righteously. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God is dark. That's not at all what the Bible is saying. But the Bible is suggesting, though, is he doesn't have those guardrails. And in order to write a more noble story, he sometimes uses things on this side. A lot. He does that a lot. Darkness, demons, death, disaster, the devil himself. Throughout Scripture, he displays his, God displays his, not only his ability, but his willingness to rule these things for the purpose of an ultimate good, for the purpose of bringing out, and it's kind of fascinating to think, I mean, how does God take a billions of free will creatures who he is not manipulating and still work a, a more noble story? Well, he has to get involved in everything. And he does that. I mean, just think about that. Darkness, demons, death, disease, disaster. He, he declares himself the Lord of all of it. You know, by the way, I've never noticed how many things on the dark side begin with D. Makes you wonder, you know, if your name is like Dolores or... <laughs> Deborah or David. I, yeah, maybe, maybe there's nothing to it. I don't know. I'm just going to keep going. But that was a joke. But <laughs> don't, don't anybody get nervous if your name starts with a D. Don't say, oh, maybe. That explains a lot. <laughs> just, just relax. All right. A little, a little Bible humor there for you. All right. But getting this throughout Scripture. Let me just let me give you another interesting Bible example of it. Uh, Moses, God's, God's sending Moses to Egypt to set his people free, and he plans on using a whole lot of pain to get the job done, God does. And he's explaining this to Moses, but Moses is saying, God, I, I, can't, I can't be a part of this, God. I can't even talk. How, how do you expect to use me to go and speak to Pharaoh when I'm, I stutter? I can't even talk. And this is God's response to Moses. Listen to God in Exodus 4.11. God says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Holy cow. God just backs up and takes credit for the whole shlemiel. He just says, man, it's all under me. You know, if we're not careful, here's what we'll do. And I've, man, I've heard this a lot. Trying to give God, a, trying to protect him, trying to protect his image. We'll... we'll talk, and, and I've been, I've heard sermons. I heard one of the, the guys, and I, I love this guy. I mean, he has helped me so much in ministry, but I, I heard this sermon years ago, and this guy spent the first 20 minutes really carefully explaining to us how anything dark or painful God had nothing to do with. 
God would never do that. He's only a happy God. He's all good. Anything painful, God has nothing to do with. So he spent 20 minutes making sure we, you know, keeping God in the white hat, and he's all, you know, he's all over here. You know, anything painful, he has nothing to do with. Hurricanes, God, you know, God can't hold a hurricane in his hand. He doesn't do that. All right, okay, good, good, all right. Then he flips the page, and the next 10 minutes of the sermon, he wraps up with, but trust God. Just trust him, trust God. My head was spinning. You just spent 20 minutes explaining to us how he controls nothing. How there's all sorts of forces running wild that he has no control of. But, but trust him. Just trust him. Relax. Cast your cares on this God who's controlling nothing. Just relax and trust God. Take it easy because your God controls nothing. King, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We, we don't think through the end result of our, of our teaching about God. You, if he's not in charge of the whole thing, you can't trust him. You can't. Because here's the problem. All the stuff we're scared of, all the stuff that in, pretty much everyone in this room has a little bit of fear in your life, and you will never get rid of it, never, until you see a big God who rules over the whole thing. Because everything you're afraid of, it's over here. All that stuff that you're nervous about, it isn't over here, it's over there. All that trouble that you think might be coming, it's coming from over there. And if you've got a theology that God is just on this side, you're in a world of hurt. You, you will never have peace. You can't. You can't have peace until you see the truth. And that's what God reveals to Habakkuk. God says, even wicked armies. God is telling him, Habakkuk, I'm running this show. I'm ruling it. And if you'll just open up your eyes to see, it creates real faith. Real faith really does trust God because it sees him as he is. And that's where there's peace. That's where all fear is gone. But gang, every one of us in this room have pain in our life. We do. And far too often, we're asking the wrong questions or we're just allowing it to discourage us or we're allowing it to, to crush us. When you need to start asking a different question, pain is redirecting you if you'll start asking the right questions. And again, our temptation is to think that, well, it's just me. You know, I have pain, but nobody else does. All these other people, their lives are perfect. We look around at church and like, well, everybody else here is Perfect. We, we tease Pam. We call her perfect Pam, you know? But, <laughs> but, but isn't that, we all have those people that, that we think, oh, well, they're perfect. By the way, that's one, if not the main reason you need to start getting in some relationships and start hearing some real stories. And you'll find out, oh my gosh. They've got pain too. They've had to, and anybody who has achieved something and, and, and experienced something in God and watched God work things out are people who have learned to correctly interpret the redirections of God and, and the pain in their world. And we've got to be able to do that. And by the way, relationships are a major part. You can just stay on the shelf, stay off to the side, and just kind of maintain, you know, just, just kind of track your own, handle your own pain. I'm just on my, you know, the self, self-governance plan here. I'm just going to take care of my own. As soon as I'm fixed, then I'll come out. I've got something to help then. Gang, your, your pain is a huge part of the help you bring. Just bring yourself. Bring your trust in God. Bring your honesty. Quit hiding and pretending that your life is perfect. 
just come out here with us and, and enjoy the real God. This is the time of testing. This life that we have here is a time of testing for all of us. And when we see it, now if you look down at number six now, Habakkuk's answer. This is the last words of that book. The last words of the book. There's only three chapters, so there's going to be three parts. And the next two weeks are going to be awesome, by the way. We're going to get in, into a little bit more of the practicals of exactly how. How do, I, how do I navigate that if I feel like I'm in that spot of pain? So you're, you're all going to come back the next two weeks, right? Awesome. And then it, you'll probably take a little break at 10 o'clock to jog over to the conference room for the grow class. But then here's Habakkuk's answer. Chapter 3, verse 17. Here's the last three verses of the whole book. The book ends with these words. Habakkuk says this, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. I don't have space there to put it all in, but Habakkuk is just saying, Okay, God, I get it. You're running the whole thing. And even though absolute disaster takes place, God, I see it. I see you. I see your hand. That's exactly what he's saying. Even though there's no food, Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Most of us are a little bit short of rejoicing in him. We, we, that's, that's a goal out there. And we have moments of rejoicing, but your whole life can't rejoice until you see that black and white, until you see your whole life can't be rejoicing until you see him ruling over all of it. Habakkuk sees him ruling over all of it, and he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Will you read those words with me? I will be joyful in God, my... One more time. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. That is the lifestyle of faith. That is it. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, who rules over not only my pleasures, but rules over my pain and has a purpose and has a plan. And I'm going to back up and start asking different questions. God, what do you want? Where, where are you directing me? What, what is, some of us have, I mean, I just, again, I know so many stories. Just call out a couple. I know some of us, a story I've heard so many times is, is, is a special needs child. Again, if you think that's not going to redirect you, you, well, you never had a special needs. I, I, do, I do not personally have a child in that, but I have had, heard so many stories that I know. I'm asking all of us, no matter what it is. Number one, don't assume you're the only one. You're not. It's universal. And number two, start asking God for a different question. God, where am I being redirected to? What is it? It's part of a, it's a, part of a more noble story. God's, God's big goal for you is not retiring at 55 with a condo. By the way, if there's nothing wrong. If you've got a condo in Naples, awesome, all right? That's, I, I'm not throwing rocks at your condo, all right? That's not, that's not my problem. But that isn't the big goal for your life. It just isn't. God never sits up and says, oh, let's see what I can do with him. Oh, I think I can get him a condo. If it, no, 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 that's, that's not his big goal. Verse 19, and we'll wrap it up. The sovereign Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength, Habakkuk says. Oh, he's my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's real faith. That's real faith. Apologize for calling some of you out here, but I can't help but see Mary Beth here smiling at me who just buried her husband how long ago, Mary Beth? About five months ago. And 
She's either doing a really good job of faking it or she's actually found a little bit of joy. Now, of course, of course there's pain, of course. But found some joy, found some, is she being redirected? Of course, of course. Our whole church was redirected when Gordy left. By the way, just, and I'm going to wrap up with this, I'm done. Don't get so excited when I say that, you guys. That's like, that's like my, the favorite part of most sermons. Like, oh, whew. I love it when he says that. <laughs> Habakkuk was written just before the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah pens these most famous words. Jeremiah is now writing to the vast majority of Israelites who have been taken to Babylon. They're now in a foreign country. They're captives in a foreign country. And speaking for God, Jeremiah tells these Israelites who are now in Babylon, says this, God says, I know the plans I have for you. It's one of the most famous Bible verses. This is the one you'll see on fridges in a little car. You don't know the story before and after. You just see the little sticker on the fridge. It says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That's always God's plan. Always, always. Now, in the middle of that story, did some people die when the Babylonians came? Yeah. Was there some pain? Yeah. But that's always his plan. Always. Would you bow your head and and close your eyes with me? I wonder if there's anybody in here. I just want to make this really simple. And and here's what I'm going to ask. That you really haven't even been asking God to help you interpret your pain. You, you really haven't even been asking. You've just kind of been letting it discourage you and depress you. Again, we all have those moments. It, it has that effect on all of us at times. But real faith comes through the other side and starts asking a different question. If that's you, gang, we've all been there. But if you'd say at this moment, I, I think I'm allowing my pain more to discourage me than I am to, to allow it to direct me. Nobody's looking around, but if that's you, would you raise your hand right there where you're seated? I think that's me. Can I just pray for you and with you? Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ, open our eyes. Open our eyes to the big God who rules. Help us to see you, God. Help us to trust you. You are writing a better story. And Father, we trust you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you just keep your heads down for just 30 more seconds, let me ask one more simple question. I wonder... Ultimately, just like Jacob, God wants you to to say yes to him. He wants you to yield to a will and a plan that's bigger than yours. And that does take, there is a moment where there is a full surrender. There is a moment where Jesus Christ is revealing himself. He knocks at the door of your heart and there is a moment where you say yes to him. That Lord, yes, I I give you my whole life. Whatever you want, whatever your plan is, I, I say yes. If you've never fully surrendered your life to Christ, and and right now, there's just a moment right now where you're recognizing a big God and you're recognizing a plan for your life and you just want to say yes to Jesus Christ. If that's you, nobody's looking around, but if that's you, would you raise your hand right there where you're seated? You want to say yes to, to Him completely, to serve Him. Can we all, let's all just repeat this prayer of faith in Christ. Let's all say, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, you bore my pain on that cross. You took what I deserved. You took my punishment that I might get your grace.
that I might find favor with God. So God, I give you my life. I give you my everything. I want to serve you with my whole life. In Jesus' name I pray.